Okay, good morning, Tony Meredith. Welcome to our podcast. You don't know what you don't know until you know me after work. Terrific. Celeste, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. What a real thrill. We're just going to cover, you're a sales, leadership and mindset coach, okay? Yeah, correct. So we're just going to talk a bit about that, a bit about your background, how you got into coaching, and then I think there's a lot in your treasure chest that'll come out and uh, we'll explore a bit deeper. Sounds great. Yeah, look forward to it. I had a look at your website and I've tried to dig, dig a bit deeper and I really love how you describe how you got into coaching. Yep. Um, and your journey. And I think it would be really good for the listeners to hear a bit more about that. Perfect. Yeah. So, so me, my background is in corporate. So I've spent a lot of time with some of the world's largest businesses and uh, whether it be in consumer goods, whether it be in pharmaceuticals. And I got to a point towards the end of 2014 and the start of 2015 where I was no longer feeling fulfilled. In fact, I was in an incredibly dark space. I used to spend most of my time in an airplane in a hotel suite, traveling around the country, uh, away from my family, uh, as, as a national sales role, and any time you've got the word national in your title, it means that you've got to go around the nation. And so, mm. uh, you know, I spent a lot of my time in, in all the various capital cities. And so for me, <coughs> excuse me, something had to give and, uh, and I decided to make a change. And the first thing that I did was I actually read a book and it was Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the first time I read it in there, chapter two, he talks about start with the end in mind, or I think he says begin with the end in mind. And um, he talks about your eulogy. And the first time I read that, I actually, I, I couldn't read it, you know, so I put it down because I, I wasn't dealing with my own mortality. And then for probably a couple of weeks after that, for whatever reason, the universe said, no, pick this book up. And so I picked it up and I read it again and I read chapter two in particular, and I really resonated with it. And his whole point was that at your eulogy, what will people say about you when you pass on? And I was thinking to myself at that stage, my eulogy was terrible, right? It was, I'm never at home. Uh, I didn't have the wealth that I thought I would at that stage. Not a good father, not a good husband, overweight, unfulfilled. And I thought this is a dreadful eulogy. And so for me, that was really the spark that I said, I've got to do something about this and I've got to, uh, you know, have a very different eulogy. And so that was, sorry. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. I've got so many questions just from that, okay. <laughs> that paragraph. Well, you, well you, you go, you, you, you go with some um, questions. From no, that. just before, when you were, you know, the, the national sales guy, mm-hmm. um, when did you realize that this is not what you want? Yeah, it's interesting. So I went for a job. That's a shift, isn't it? Oh, it's huge. I went for a job interview. I think it was, it was either the end of 13 or the start of 14, 2013, start of 2014. And I didn't get it. And like, there was three people going for this particular role and I didn't even get into the top two. And I, and I remember coming home and, and I was drinking back then. I, I don't drink. And I remember just getting into it that night. And I just remember thinking to myself, I can't believe that I'm not even in the top two for this particular um, promotion. And so for me, that was gut-wrenching, right? That was really gut-wrenching. And I had to do a lot of deep, you know, deep searching and, and you know, looking in the bottom of a, of, a, of a whiskey bottle to do it. And then over time, um, you know, again, this whole unfulfilled piece, you know, this whole spending time away from home, one year... Celeste, I achieved platinum status with Qantas and I did zero international travel. Like that's how many weeks away. I was like 35 oh, weeks wow. in the year or something along those lines. I was away from home. And it was just, and not for every week, like not all of it, but certainly for nights during the week I was away. And 
for me, that's dreadful. You know, I look back now, and again, the person that I was back then was like, oh, yeah, great. You know, I've got all this status, right? And it's like, what a load of rubbish, right? I look back yeah, now. Yeah, so when, when did that, the status change? Or oh, the... the status changed. So, again, it was sort of the end of 14, start of 15. Like, all these events were leading up to it, and I wasn't open to receiving the messages. But I look back now, and Steve Jobs talks about it's only when you look back that you can connect the dots. And I love I, that line. Yeah, and I didn't get, I didn't get that job for a reason. I didn't get a job for a reason because as I've got the job, I would have immersed myself further and further into corporate world and would have had more and more pay and would have, you know, would have been the golden handcuffs and I would have found it very, very difficult to, to break away from that. So for me, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a sign. But again, you don't realise that at the time, but I realised that soon after. So it was the end of 14, start of 15. As, as I said, it was just, I just had this, this I was overweight I would just, you know, I wasn't myself. I used to be really sporty as a young guy. And, uh, you know, you asked me about running, you know, before we came on. I used to do a lot of running. I used to play a lot of sport. I was a, a very good sports person. I wasn't great, but I was very good. I was a very, you know, very good footballer, very good at cricket, uh, et cetera, good runner. And I just, I just lost my way, you know. And, and you know, as a, as a father, as a, as a, as a husband, uh, you know, focusing on my career, other things became more important and my health uh, suffered as a result of that. So, you yeah. know, it was... When do you go from um, this healthy, sporty, the family guy, you're fulfilled, and then it creeps up, all of a sudden, you you know, you, you, your career life is taking a massive priority. Mm-hmm. When, when, when does that, I don't know if you, you can answer that because it does creep up, but how do we kind of let it go let let sure. all those great things that felt so good go. Um, is it because this feels better or we think it feels better, this career life? Yeah, it, look, it's priorities, Celeste. So the reality was that uh, I came to a realisation early on that I was never going to make any money from sport. And so, you know, I, for, for me, then the, the enjoyment started to go out of it as well. And also then the injuries starting to impact the day job. So, so, you know, there's a number of little events and it's, uh, and you said the word gradual and that's what it is. It's not like, you know, one day I woke up and that's it. It's like just gradually over time, things started to shift for me and my, my whole priorities shifted and my responsibilities shifted. And as a parent, you know, as particularly as a man, as a father, mm. you know, historically we've got the, the responsibility of providing for the family. So if I go and play sport, which is very, uh, albeit very good for, for us, but, but also a bit self-indulgent, then if I go and do that and go and get injured and can't work and can't earn money, well, then it's going to put a whole lot of you know, unnecessary pressure on, on the family um, structure. What advice would you give to, you know, people in your position mm. uh, 10 years ago that, you know, become um, obviously your priorities and you've got a family and that changes. Mm. But it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that part of you, you lost part of you through that process. Mm. How do you keep part of you in that process? Listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. I have a saying, which is may your shoes follow your heart. And one of the things that I've learnt uh, over the years is that I need to become more attuned to my heart. And as a man, we have we have this mask up, you know, and we've got to have this bravado. And uh, you know, we don't bring the mask down as blokes. You know, we've got to keep it up. But we've got to have this, uh, you know, this exterior. And it's it's. Can I swear? Is yeah, that okay? Of course, go it's for bullshit, it. right? It's bullshit, you know. And so. Uh, um, and and so we've got to be able to bring that stuff down. Get really vulnerable. 
listen to our heart uh, and do the things that make you truly, truly happy. And look, for me, uh, you know, I'm disappointed in one regard that I uh, only discovered it, you know, five years ago. Uh, but uh, the other way to look at it is that I'm excited that I discovered it five years ago because there's a lot of people in my shoes who still haven't discovered it and will never discover it. And I feel incredibly sad for those people. Mm. But... Um... And this is the whole essence of this podcast. You don't know what you don't know. And, um, and you've just, you know, even that experience in the last five years, how it's just something so that people think is so small has changed your life significantly. Yeah. Look, it started small, right? So the thing is that it starts small, but you've got to build on it, you know? And so for me, I, I you know, sort of in finishing out the story. So I went and, and read Stephen Covey's book, uh, worked out that my eulogy was dreadful. I need to have a different eulogy. The next thing I did is, again, so going back to the sporty um, side of me, I wanted to find something that would challenge me but not break me. And so I came across a 12-week weight transformation challenge. And so at the time I started, I was 97 kilo. Again, I, I wasn't, uh, my, my, my frame isn't designed to be at 97 kilo. Uh, and so I ventured off on a 12-week weight transformation challenge and over the course of the 12 weeks I successfully lost 12 kilos in the 12 weeks and not only that in a competition of 10,000 people nationally I got into the top 50 and I fundamentally changed the way that I looked I'm, I'm conscious that I've gone and put back on at least half the, the weight uh, over the, the five years preceding but uh, sorry post but but my point was that at that point in time I needed to find that um, the achievement driven um, sporty person that was within me that used to be me and I found this 12-week challenge and, and for, for 84 days in a row I didn't set an end goal because and I'm big on goals and you know as a business coach I'm big on goals but at that time I didn't set an end goal because it's all around weight uh, transformation and a lot of um, or gym work and so because muscles heavier than fat I, I couldn't quite calculate you know what my weight would be but what I said to myself is that for 84 days in succession I'm going to eat what they tell me to eat and I'm going to exercise the way they tell me to exercise. And I just trusted the process. You know, I, it was a competition, a national competition, a well-known national competition. I thought these people know what they're doing. I'm just going to immerse myself in this and I'm going to follow it uh, to the letter. And I did, you know, and, and I had the results that, that I achieved. And after doing that, mm. okay, so there's physical results, mm. but after 12 weeks, what, what, what was the dialogue you were having with yourself? Sure. So, so firstly, there's a number of things that I, that I got out of the, the, the weight loss challenge and or the weight transformation challenge. The first one is that um, you, you've got to stick with things, right? So how often do we do something and we, we start for a week, for two weeks, for four weeks, and we give up? Mm. So for me... In, and what happened was you had to take photos uh, with the paper in your undies uh, at week zero, uh, week four, week eight, and then at the end in week 12. So they're all over the internet for those. I was going to say, if anyone wants to check yeah, those out, they're, they're, website, they're all over, Tony Meredith <laughs> coaching about page. Yeah, I did have a good look. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all over the internet. But uh, the point was that um, for weeks uh, uh, one or zero to four, I lost a little bit of weight. For weeks five to, to eight, I lost a little bit more. And weeks nine to 12, it literally dripped off me, right? It fell off me. And so for me, it's like, well, how many times have I given up after four weeks? You know, and the heaps is the answer. How many times have I given up after eight weeks? 
And how do I have not stuck it out? How do I have not kept going? Then I would never have experienced what I did in weeks nine to 12, which was truly, it truly just, it melted off me. And so that's the first thing, stick with it. And the second is trust the process. You know, success leaves clues. And there are people out there that have gone before us that have done a whole range of things that, that we're trying to do. I'll guarantee you that the majority of your listeners are not pioneering there's someone who's already gone and done the thing that they're wanting to do whether it be in weight whether it be in business whether it be in relationships it doesn't matter so find that person and trust the process follow the blueprint and they're the two things that i got out of it the other thing that you asked me was around my my internal dialogue so and i i say that my physical transformation was was massive and it truly was but it paled into insignificance when i compare it to my mental transformation and i finished that weight uh, challenge, having an enormous sense of belief that I still carry with me today. And again, I'm, I'm conscious that I, you know, I have gone and put on a few kilos over the, over the last five years, but the belief that I have that started then and that continues today, it, it's, it's bigger now today, um, is phenomenal. And, and that was the thing for me. And I often say to people that, you know, in order to, to overcome certain things, you need to create evidence of success. And there's two mm. ways that you create evidence of success. And, and one way is by starting small and you do something small. And if you've never run before, you run 100 metres. And the next day, you run 150 and so on and so forth. That's one way, right? Start, start small. And that's in relation to running. But the same applies to doing sales calls. Never made a sales call? Do one sales call. Do another. Do another. Mm. Do another. Don't try and do 100, you know? So that's, that's that piece. The other piece is look for other areas in your life where you've had success and just apply the thinking to the new thing that you want to achieve. So for me, I had enormous success in losing weight. I had this enormous belief. And I said to myself, if I can do that thing over there, then I can do this, this business thing. And I, I got into to property development and then ultimately business coaching. But I never would have got into that if I didn't achieve success through the weight transformation. Now, the reality is that weight transformation and property development or weight transformation and business coaching have zero in common. But yet what I was able to do was to link them together to say success over here means that I can have, gives me the belief to have success over here. And so for all of your listeners out there, Celeste, I would argue that all of us have had success in something, running, relationships, school, business, whatever it might be. Mm. think about when you had success what were you doing what was your mindset what were some of the triggers the anchor what, what was going on for you and how do i pick that moment up and apply it to this new thing that i'm wanting to achieve can you share your eulogy my my eulogy yeah my eulogy at the time was so my old eulogy or my new or my new, the new one it's not written per se, except to say that what I've said is my mission is to positively impact people in business. So I haven't gone and written out a eulogy yeah. exactly, but it's simply to say that I want to leave this world a far better place than, uh, than when I arrived. And so that's essentially it. And, and I get up each and every day with those five key words, positively impacting people in business. And it just drives me uh, like uh, nothing, nothing, nothing else uh, has. And, uh, you know, even today, I mean, my wife, uh, if she's listening, you know, she would know that I don't spend as much time with the family as I do, even though I don't travel anywhere near uh, what I used to. And obviously we're all, we're all a little restricted, you know, given what's going on. But even before COVID, I wasn't traveling as much as I used to. Uh, and I don't spend as much time uh, with the family, but I make sure that when we do spend time together, we do, do have some quality uh, time together. 
but but I am so driven with uh, with wanting to to help people, you know, and it's just uh, it's an amazing when you find your you know what ikigai is. Are there, um, Ikigai is Japanese for reason yeah. for being, you know, and yeah. when you or, or purpose, and when you find your ikigai, then your life is incredibly light. And I found my ikigai, and I found that along the journey, I didn't realise when I started that I was going to find my ikigai. You know, I started off going from weight loss to property development, and I started off in property development. You know, wanting to be a property developer, it was all around you know development, development. I just immersed myself in everything to do with property development. But along the way, I realized that I like property development, but I don't love it. But what I realized is that because I was a manager of people and large teams, because it had enormous amount of success, in whether it be weight loss or property development, I had people coming up to me and saying, hey, Tony, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Can you share with me? You know, you're just an, uh, I didn't say this, but it's like effectively, you're just an average guy from the suburbs, but you're having all of the success and we're sitting here watching you transform right before our eyes can you help us? And I just had this epiphany. I went, that's it. That's it. You know, and, and so I get to wake up and, and help people and, mm. and what an amazing way to live my life. Is there any part of you that misses um, your national sales life? No, no. So, you know, again, I look back and. Um, Isn't that interesting when something's so much a part of your life and then fast forward 10 years and you don't even miss it. No, I, look, I don't. Look, I, I miss my, my friends. So, so yeah, let me yeah. rephrase. I miss my work colleagues. I miss the camaraderie. I miss, you know, being uh, in the office. And, and I'm, But from a work point of view, uh, from a working for someone point of view, from a working in, a, in an organisation that had far too much bureaucracy, don't miss it. Could you have imagined yourself now when you were there? No, not at all. Like the Tony that's become? No, because I go back to uh, when I was going through university. and uh, I Actually, I remember even before university, I went to a careers coach. My father drove down. We, we grew up in a country town a couple of hours north of Brisbane, and my father drove down. And he took me to a careers uh, counsel or a career coach, and he rem- we share this story often. He said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a businessman that wears a suit. But then that was, that's almost verbatim what I said, right? And we laugh about that now because... I couldn't leave anything worse, quite frankly. And uh, But yet I had this whole aspiration to be a businessman wearing a suit. I wanted to have the corner office uh, in the company that I worked for. I wanted to be the boss. And uh, it's interesting. And, you know, again, looking back, going through through university and early on, I used to think about all these people uh, at the beach who would be uh, in a combi van, uh, living the life as they choose. And I used to look down on these people and think, oh, my God, you know, what a dreadful way to live their life. And I remember having this distinct vision when I was still working for someone going, you know what, they've actually got it right and I've got it all wrong. And, uh, and, and that was one of the, you know, one of the many epiphanies that I had, but yet it's amazing that the that change. actually um, takes it kind of just prompted my next question was about goals. I know you're big on goals, mm. but the goal, goals in um, the right goals. So goal alignment, you know, we can chase goals, but mm. are they aligned with who we are? Mm. For example, yourself with the, you know, chasing the corner office. Mm. And then you have a realisation that this is actually not a lot in alignment with me. Mm. What do you say to people who are just, you know, we all set goals, but it's actually why we're setting those goals. Like, 
can you just talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, I know it's quite the, open. No, no, I, I call it the, the January the 1st syndrome. It happens every January the 1st. You know, what mm. happens? Society says we've got to set goals because it's New Year's and we've got to go and lose weight and give up the drink and get a career promotion and, you know, start a business and, you know, get a, get a new partner, whatever it might be, right? Uh, and what happens by the middle of January? We all fall over. You know, the reality is that 85 or 95, 90% of people lose their goal or, or fall short of their goal in the first couple of but weeks. But is that because uh, it wasn't aligned with them or because they didn't stick to it? it well, but perhaps because it wasn't aligned to them. Yeah. So if it was aligned to them, then you'd stick to it, right? And so here's the thing. So if you're not connected to your goal, if you don't have the purpose-driven goal, if it's all society says I need to do this, I probably should do something. And I'm out with my friends having a drink on the 31st of December. And of course, I'm full of bravado having a drink on the 31st of December. So I probably should go and, you know what, I'm going to go and run 10K for six months. That'll do, you know. And, and the reality is that it's all BS. And because there's no purpose behind that goal. So go back to your question around alignment. You have to be connected to this thing. It has mm. to mean something to you. So, sorry, your um, job as the, you know, national sales, do it, is it because you lost connection? So maybe you were connected to it before, but you got to a stage in your life where you actually lost connection with that? Yeah, be because I realised that the things that I thought were important were no longer important. Yeah. And the things that I didn't think were important were important. And, that, and that's it in a nutshell, right? And I used, to, I used to love to be in the cut and thrust of sales. And, and you know, I, st I still love the whole sales side of things. That, that, I, I won't be able to ever lose that. And I enjoy that bit. But I used to love the cut and thrust of the sales. And I used to love you know, being in, in the office environment. And I, and I used to love being a leader of people. Uh, but when you spend, the, the big thing for me was spending an enormous amount of time away from home. That was a big thing. The other thing for me was the bureaucracy that kept coming in more and more and more. I like to do stuff. Like I'm a man of action. I want to just do stuff. And when there's layers of bureaucracy that come in and it starts to then um, really take the wind out of your sails. And so for me, I felt very hamstrung. So there was a number of those things. Plus, as I said, I, I didn't get that role. And, uh, and that, was, that was heartbreaking for me. It truly was. And, uh, you know, having those events line up and then you start to go, hang on a second. It's just, I thought this was what I wanted but it's not what I wanted. And I never really spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted, to be honest. I mean, I just thought, mm. oh, I want, to, I want to be a businessman with a suit. You know, I want to uh, yeah. earn the money, have the, have the bling bling, the, the fancy car, the fancy houses and all those sorts of things. And, uh, and, you know, how ridiculous, quite frankly, when I look back, because I see a lot of, you know, my friends, uh, you know, a lot of my work colleagues who are so, uh, you know, hocked to the eyeballs with debt, uh, that they have no choice but to stick out their job. They just don't have the, the, the ability. They have the ability, but they just refuse to do it because, uh, you know, they're in a situation which they're not prepared to change. And it's incredibly sad. Whereas for me, we sold everything down. I started to rent. You know, I, I grew up in a household where it's all about, you know, the great Australian dream, own your home, you know, all these types of things. And uh, we sold everything down. That, that takes a lot of courage to do. And uh, we rented and we still rent today. And I, I've, How I've did never... it feel selling your house? Uh, for me, because I had a goal in mind. For my wife, it took a lot of convincing. So I don't think we have long enough today to go through the conversation. Because Did you it wasn't... feel lighter? 
Was there any light lightness that came through? Yeah. yeah, of course, you know, because I, I, I had enabled me to get into property developing. So it freed up an enormous amount of cash. So I had a longer term goal and I needed the cash to be able to do that. And so the conversation with my, my wife was, the, was, was the, the big one because, again, she had grown up in a similar situation to me where it was all around the great Australian dream and, uh, and you know, having to have a change of what you've been grown, your beliefs that, that you'd grown up with that's different. And then have, you know, people around you, those that love you the most going, what the hell are you doing? You know, why are you down? Why are you renting? And you don't rent, rent money's dead money, you know, all these types of things. And so Mm. you've got to confront all these, you know, the beliefs and the people that love us the most typically uh, have the most things to say. As a percentage, um, how how much do you think your, your beliefs have changed in the last 10 years? As a percentage, Celeste, um, look, a, a lot of, again, you know, if I think 10, 10 years ago, so in 2010 and 2010, I was the, um, the head of the, um, the commercial team in a large pharmaceutical company. I sat on the leadership team. Uh, I was making all the decisions and I had a, a team of, uh, you know, 20 odd people who sat beneath me and we went across a variety of different areas, but we touched everything that came within that business. So uh, that was in 2010, 10 years ago, uh, five years after that, I had the epiphany that, that life was going to head in a different direction. And then three years after that, I was able to leave my day job and, and here I am. Yeah, wow. Well, what's some of the advice you would give to people that are in your position? Mm. Um, well, that were in your position and are considering um, or asking themselves the question about if this is what I want or this is where I want to be or is there something different for me? Like, what would you say to them? Yeah, so, so I'd say listen to those thoughts, explore those thoughts, sit with those thoughts. Uh, I'd also say that it's not going to be easy. Uh, being an entrepreneur is not for the faint-hearted. It's not, you don't have to go and be an entrepreneur. You may want to change jobs, for example, but, um, you know, or do something totally different. Like you may be in a, in a, in a white-collar environment. You might want to go and, I don't know, be a florist, right? So, so whatever it might be, uh, but I, I said it earlier, you know, may your shoes follow your heart. Your heart knows, like it truly knows. Your head doesn't know, but your heart does. And you've got to be able to tap into your heart as a, as a man, uh, bring down your mask, you know, get really vulnerable, be true to yourself. And, and this is self-awareness. And I know your podcast is all about awareness, but this is a, this is a whole self-awareness factor. You know, understand truly, truly, truly what's important to you. Not, not okay. BS, so, you know, you know, you think, oh, I understand truly, 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 but it's a, it's a, it's so much deeper than just that. Like how do you get deeper into working out what it is that, you want or who you are or what you want to do you know especially if you probably haven't been vulnerable or allowed yourself to be open or you know had the bravado all that stuff happening yep okay so so what i did so let me share with my specific journey so in the start of 2017 I went on a, uh, in fact, before that, I went off and studied NLP, so Neuro Linguistic Programming, and started to understand around uh, how the mind worked, uh, the thought processes, et cetera. That was the first thing, and that helped me from a coaching point of view. I always was a very good manager of people. I have high levels of EQ, emotional intelligence, and it's, it's my gift. You know, I, I, can't, I can't 
hang a picture up to save my life, right? But but I have high levels of EQ with people. I'm a, I'm a good listener as well, although some would argue I'm a very good talker. Your brother would certainly argue I'm a very good talker. So if he's tuning in now, he'll be having he a giggle. He's he'll, he'll, he'll be having a giggle at this point in time. Uh, but what I, what I then did is in the start of 2017, a good mate of mine started a program called Thought Mastery, and it was a retreat where you went away for several days, uh, three days. It was a Friday, yeah, Friday through to Sunday, up in the mountains, no phone range, uh, no electricity. It was all solar power, no meat. Uh, it was all uh, you know, vegetarian. And you, you just went back to nature. And there was a, an exercise, I can't recall the name of it, no, I'm, I'm kicking myself, no, I can't. A magic, magic spot, magic spot. And what magic spot is, is you get a little carpet square and you're literally in the bush. Like we're in the bush on the border of Queensland, and New South Wales, like just in the middle of nowhere. And you take this little carpet square and you go and you find a spot and you have to be silent. So they, they bring down this vow of silence and you just walk and you walk in single file. And the gentleman who's leading the exercise, he'll just um, he'll point to that's your spot. Like he can't talk, but he'll just point, you know. So you pop your little carpet square down, you sit on it and you just sit with your thoughts. And you just sit with your thoughts and it's just, and then whatever comes up for you, write it down. And I find that writing like the physical act of grabbing a pen and a piece of paper and writing. And even if you start writing the words, blah, 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 like if you've got a writer's block and just write B-L-A-H, B-L-A-H. And then what will happen is over a period of time, you'll have this spark will come up and you'll write it down and there's something else and write it down and just sit with your thoughts. The biggest problem I find today, Celeste, is that people don't put themselves in those type of environments. And that's quite an extreme thing. I'm not suggesting you have to go out and, you know, sit in, 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 a, in a bushland setting, uh, you know, three hours south of, of Brisbane. No, but the, the, the notion of changing yeah. your environment. 100%. 100%. 100%. And, and, yeah, and, and allow yourself, right? We've got the, the phones going. We've got the, the TVs are going. We've got the pressures of work going. We've got the, the, the family commitments. We've got all this stuff coming at us. But we don't stop. And we don't sit with our thoughts. And that's the opportunity. So, you know, find a space, like wherever you are, if you, if, you, if you live in a house with a backyard, sit in your backyard. If you live in a unit block, go to your nearest park, whatever it might be, find a space. Take your notebook, take a pen. Don't do this into your phone. There's some, there's some real magic that happens when you physically write something mm. down and just sit with your thoughts and sit with your thoughts and listen to the things that are coming up for you. Now, don't just do this for two minutes and go, oh, my gosh, that's a load of crap. That doesn't work. And that bloke who was on Celeste's show, what a joker he is. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Just keep sitting with thoughts, you know, and, and have the, the, the expectation that you're not going to solve this thing instantaneously. Like, to find your purpose. Like, I mentioned before, I wanted to be a property developer. That's all I wanted to be. I didn't want to be a business coach. I had no clue about business coaching, right? I just wanted to be a property developer but I kept, was very attuned to me and to my thoughts. And I went, hang on a second. I like this, but I don't like knocking down trees. I don't like arguing with contractors. I don't like having delays with counsel. But gee, I love to be able to help people. And it just came to me. And this stuff came to me and I just sat with that and sat with that. And then one day this epiphany came up and it's, you know, I'm meant to be a coach. The funny thing is, but I started off, my first epiphany was I want to be a life coach to everybody in the whole world, right? So quite a narrow niche. And, uh, and for me, I remember saying to my wife at the time, you know, I want to do this life coach. She said, 
Tony, you've got all this business experience. Why would you want to go and do life coaching? And, and I just, I wanted to you know, do this life coaching stuff. And eventually, look, she was right. Eventually, I said, hang on a second. I'm walking away from all this business experience. So when I decided to shift my focus to business coaching, then my, my business started to accelerate. But the difference with me versus other business coaches is I spend an enormous time in sprinkling the magic fairy dust over people. They don't even realise I'm sprinkling it, but I love it. And I just sprinkle the magic fairy dust over people, which is all of the life coaching. But I just frame it, don't frame it up as life coaching because pe people, they want life coaching, but they won't pay for life coaching. Or they this won't say it. Mm, correct. It's hard to tell yourself yeah, that you can, maybe I don't have it worked out, which yeah, no good. one does, right? I, I did, and, and, uh, you, good point. <laughs> None of us do, right? I'm a business coach and I have so much stuff that I need to get figured out, right? I don't, I don't pretend that my life is perfect. And I would argue to people, if you come across a coach, a life coach or a business coach who is saying to you that they've got it all together, I would run in the opposite direction as fast as you possibly could. You know, and I don't have it all together and I'm okay with that because I'm a work in progress uh, and I'm really, I'm really comfortable with that. I'm going my own journey, but I know that through my own experiences or my own skills that I'm able to help people progress in their journey as well. But when did you get to a place where I think what you're describing is acceptance? So when did you get to that place where you can be okay with where you are right now? It's, it's, it's funny. So I'm going to answer you, but I'm going to answer you in a roundabout way because Go back to 2010 when I was on the leadership team and we had to do, you've always got to do these various you know, personality tests and all these oh, like types Maya of... Briggs or... Maya Briggs. But this yeah. one was called... Um, in, um... No, I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't, actually wasn't. It was on your leadership style. And so I think it was um, uh, LTS, whatever it was. But effectively what it came back is that um, I was uh, always seeking approval. That was that was going back. It like was overwhelming, and I and I and at the time, it's mm. like that. With sales, is, like you, it is, does make sense, doesn't well, it? But as a people manager too, it's like I yeah. wouldn't I wouldn't have the strength to make a decision. I would want to seek the collaboration of my whole team, and then still fumble around and not make a decision, right? And so I was always wanting to seek approval and want people to like me. That was very important to me back then. It's all about how do I how make people uh, like me. So that was something. Well, that was ten years ago. In 2017... Sorry, you got the results of that, that... 2010. 2010, you got the results. And what was your reaction? Um, to... Yeah, so my, my reaction was I needed to start to change. And I actually no, but were you like, oh, is that... Were you kind of... Uh, no, I wasn't totally surprised. No, okay. not, not, no I wasn't it wasn't a total shock to me. Um, and so the other thing beyond the results was then you had to sit in a circle with all your leadership uh, colleagues and they all gave you feedback and they talked about what's, what's working well and, uh, you know, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses. And uh, that was really confronting. And, uh, and there, was, there was some things that I went, yeah, you know what, that's, that's, that's bang on. But when people kept saying similar stuff over and over, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, so that reinforces that, that it is true. So that it wasn't a total surprise, but, but nonetheless, it was a, a confronting experience. And so for me, I knew that I had to change back then. I had to change my style. And again, I still wanted the corner office, but I needed to be different. You can't just go and, you know, change certainly the way in which you're leading people instantaneously. I've seen plenty of leaders do it. Well, they'll come back from a course, they'll go on a course and they'll come back and it's like they're different. And it lasts a few days and the staff know it. And they just like, you just, let's just put a seatbelt on. Let's hang on for this short journey <laughs> because we know that in a week or two that this person's going to go back to their old habits and just, let's just ride this out, right? Unless so, they try for a couple of days. I mean, 
they, they try for a couple of days. Yeah. But, but look, it's, it's, it's a lot more than just going on a course, right? And so, uh, but look, I started to put some things into place, ended up changing roles uh, and uh, doing a whole lot of, a lot of things. But uh, in answer to your question around acceptance, you know, the big thing for me, there's a couple of big things. One is that I decided that I was going to leave a very high paying job. And that's huge. And I had people, those who love me most, saying to me, what the hell are you doing, right? And, and that, it wasn't just one conversation, trust me. It was an enormous number of conversations. So the first thing was that, right? That, that showed uh, for me a real uh, strength of character to be able to push through and go, you know what? I am meant to do this. This means so much to me. I can feel it in my heart. And I'm doing this and I hear you and I love you and I respect you, but I am doing this. That's the first thing. The second thing that I did was I gave up drinking in 2017. Now, as an Aussie, to give as, as an Aussie man to give up drinking is enormous. And at the time, uh, we were doing a lot of corporate entertaining as well because you know in sales and you get various conferences and all sorts of things. You're always going out for dinners, and that's not that that I was you know getting um, you know drunk every night, but I certainly would have a few drinks. It was you know I wasn't always um, I was never the last person uh, at the party, far from it. But but I certainly enjoyed a couple of drinks, and I decided. So what happened for me is that I had some health issues in the start of 2017. I had a bad bout of vertigo, and I was. Um, in fact, two things. One was prior in, in balance, in, isn't it? Yeah, correct balance. Yeah, in fact, prior to that, in the Christmas New Year of uh, 2016, I went down with my sister and her her um, her husband, and uh, uh, and and they he was working in the liquor industry. And we got we just got on it for like seven or eight nights in a row, and I haven't done that since I was like 18 years old. And so for me, I remember waking up one morning and I had the shakes. And I oh, said to my wow. wife, oh, my God, I've got the shakes, right? And so we, we absolutely got stuck in it. That was the first thing. The next one was then around that time, I had a bad bout of vertigo, which, which is balance. And what was happening was when I was waking from going from horizontal to standing, for the first couple of minutes of the day, I was literally bouncing off the walls, going down the corridor, and I just couldn't find my balance. And then the opposite at the end of the day, so when I'd go from standing to lying, uh, when I'd be lying in my bed, my room would just be racing, like just flat out. And I thought to myself... You know, I, I don't need to have a dozen beers to get this experience. I'm getting it for free. And so it's like I don't need to throw anything else on the top to compound this. So I said, you know, I'm just going to slow down with the drinking for a bit. I didn't set up, you know, it wasn't a big sort of I'm going to give up for the rest of my life type scenario. I said, you know, I'm just going to stop drinking for a few weeks. And I stopped drinking for a few weeks. And then at the end of January uh, 2017, my wife uh, had her birthday. And she said to me, please, can you please come out and, and drink? And I said, sure. You know, I, reluctantly, I said, yeah, okay. And I went out and drank. We got on it and ended up uh, making a mess of myself. And I woke up the next day and I said, I'm out. That's it. I'm done. And so, you know, again, I said to myself, I'm going to stop drinking for, you know, the next month. So for February. And then February went to March and March went to, you know, June, July. And, and here I am, you know, what, three and a half years, more than three and a half years later, I haven't, haven't touched a drink since. Do you think the alcohol had an impact on vertigo or? No, I don't think so. No, I've always had bad ears. So I've always had uh, bad balance. I've got partial deafness in one of my ears. So uh, I've always um, struggled. I, I couldn't swim uh, as a kid. I wasn't allowed in the water. Um, you know, and even now uh, I have all sorts of problems. Uh, I had surgery on my ears. Uh, oh, so it's know. ear related. Yeah, it's, it's ear related. Yeah. yeah, correct. Yeah, so not, not alcohol. 
not having alcohol in your life, how has that changed things or, or has it? Oh, it's changed it massively. Right. So the first thing is that, you know, again, we, we sort of started off this uh, topic around acceptance. When you can front up at a party, at a function, at a wherever, and someone says, you want to drink and you say no, and then there's the barrage of criticism that comes your way, when you can work your way through that, you can work your way through anything that you put your mind to, quite frankly, because it's so fascinating for me that as Australians, drinking is part of our fabric. And I'm not being critical of that because I have been there, right? So this is, I don't want to come across as a reformed drinker and all that sort of stuff, um, but that's the reality. The reality is that drinking is, is, is a part of what we do. And I've had so many wonderful, wonderful nights drinking. But for me, I made a decision to do something different. And so because I did something different that's in the minority, the criticism was, uh, you know, it was, it was huge. And it came from everywhere. And it, was, and it was constant. It was constant. And it was, you know, what's wrong with you? And all these, all these things. And I was mm. like, oh, gosh, right? And um, so, yeah, so it was all around the acceptance uh, and working your way through and being really comfortable in your own skin and going, I am doing this for my own reasons. I don't need to sit here and, and justify to everyone that I've got all these health things going on in my world. I'm, I'm really comfortable in my own skin. So for people who, uh, you know, want to build some resilience muscle, get up drinking for a month and, uh, and, and, and report back. Tell me how you're feeling at the end of the month. Um, in regards to how has it changed my life, uh, it's, it's phenomenal, Celeste, because you don't realise, you know, during, during, a, during the, the week, you know, I might have a, a, a Shiraz or I might have a whiskey uh, or two, uh, you know, at the end of a day, it might have been a tough day and I might have just wanted to take the edge off. You just don't realise the next day how much it affects you. You don't realise that, you know, for the first couple of hours of a day, you're actually still still got a, a fog. There's a Dusty. haze. Yeah, and, and you don't realise that when you're in the, in the moment. But, of course, when you don't do it and you look back and you go, oh, my gosh, like those early morning meetings, uh, I wasn't uh, operating at 100% uh, productivity. And that's the reality. And so whereas now, you know, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm alert, like I'm fresh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm always uh, yeah, up um, and about. You know, when you first kind of stepped away from drinking, did it make you uh, see, like, if you're in a party environment, hmm. how you would be and why you would drink? Like, you know, because now you become sort of the observer of mm -hmm. the behaviour of mm -hmm. drinking mm -hmm. and why we go for a drink. Hmm. Like, did you ever have that, uh, okay, I this is, now I'm starting to understand why I would drink, you know, a glass of wine in the night when I got home from, from a big day. Yeah, I mean, there's different reasons to, to drink. So, for example, for me, in, in, at the end of a big day, it was normally to take the edge off. It was normally to uh, help relax. It was to unwind, uh, forget about the, the struggles of the day. And so I, I wouldn't bury myself in the bottle, but I'd certainly have a couple of drinks on a Friday night. I, I would bury myself, uh, you know, Saturday night would bury myself, but, but during the week I, I wouldn't. That's one reason. Another reason why people drink is um, confidence. They, you know, they, they, they feel like they can approach someone, um, ask that boy or girl out uh, at a nightclub or whatever it might be, have a conversation with someone, you know, they may be an introvert or might be shy or whatever it might be, and they feel that gives them uh, a superhero cape. So there's a number of different reasons why 
people would drink. I'm an introvert, you know, I'm an introvert and, and I'm, I've got no doubt that there was part of that, particularly on the weekend that, that gave me, uh, you know, I was you know, 10 feet tall and, and, and bulletproof after having uh, a few drinks. So, uh, so yeah. What if, what if you replace the, the drinking with, like if you want to relax or chill out or kind Ice of... Scream. Ice cream. <laughs> ice cream, which is why, which is why I'm, I'm not in the shape that I should be. Uh, so I, don't, I don't, don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I, don't, I don't, don't eat meat either. So that was something else that I've given up. So I gave up uh, meat in the middle of 2017. So I haven't had meat for over three years. Uh, so, um, look, ice cream, unfortunately. Celeste, that's, that's my vice and I love yeah. it and I, I, I can't help myself. So, um, yeah. And with the meat, so can you share why you gave up meat? Yeah, I'm happy, yeah. To, happy to share. Yeah. yeah, so it was all around, we've got a history of heart disease in my family. So both my biological grandparents passed away when uh, they were, uh, my, my, well, they were less than 50. And um, so that was, that was incredibly um, you know, tough for my, for my parents. Uh, my dad, I think dad was uh, maybe 12. Uh, mum was a little bit older. I think mum was about 20 odd. Uh, early 20s, but uh, you know, to have your, your father um, pass away at an early age was uh, was was not good. So there's a history of heart disease. Both my parents are still alive. Um, you know, they're going great. Uh, but you know, it was was that was the, the 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 thing. I was on a plane. I was on one of my many plane trips, reading uh, a magazine, and something came up around red meat. And you know, I love a good steak. You know, we used to go off to the wholesale butcher, and we'd you know buy the the ribeye, you know, the bulk ribeye, and we get it all cut nice and thick. And, you know, so, yeah, it was, was nothing to have a nice piece of ribeye and a, and a red wine at the end of the day. And so that was, that was huge. And I, I had to look at what I did. And again, I never set out to stop eating meat for the rest of my life. I said, well, I just want to give this meat up for a couple of weeks. And it's amazing when you start to look for something that you can see it everywhere. And there's a, there's a physiological reason why we do that. But, you know, there were so many choices in the supermarkets around these meat alternatives. I couldn't believe it. You know, I'd never been open to seeing that before, but you know, all these meat free options and I still eat fish. I'm a pescatarian. I'm not a, not a vegetarian or a vegan. So I still love salmon. I uh, love whitefish, uh, but, um, uh, but uh, you know, red meat, uh, chickens, um, porks, lambs, uh, no, don't, don't do any of that. And, uh, and yeah, because there's so, many, there's so many choices around. So, look, I just started for a few weeks and I thought, my gosh, this is actually amazing and I feel pretty good and, and, I, and I've kept it going uh, ever since. And it's, is it, you, just, you sound like you're quite in tune with your body, so you're always just checking in to see how you're feeling or... Oh, not as not as in tune as I. So certainly, from a health point of view, I could be fitter. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I'm I'm sure that it's it's like it's it's quite um, uh, you know, contradictory that I give up red meat because of the heart disease, but that I'm happy to sit down with a big tub of Ben and Jerry's. So uh, you know, I, I do need to I do I do need to put put that in check. But uh, look, it's it, it's my it's my thing at the moment. It's, uh, I, I don't have other things as I don't drink, don't smoke. Don't Isn't do it interesting that in our culture in Australia that it's, there's, it, there's a kind of um, a pride around the fact that you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't do this. Like it's not, it's not even because it's actually a big, big shift to what the culture mm. is so used to. Like, yeah. Yeah, look, for, for me, for me, it's, I take it for granted now. Uh, but as I said, early on, it was really challenging. And, but it built an enormous resilience muscle for me and to the point where, 
you know, I can handle the things that come my way. I put myself out there. I'm in the, the public eye a lot, uh, doing a lot of stuff on social media. And I don't always get complimentary uh, comments, but, but I'm able to handle those because uh, of the things that, that I have done beforehand. And that's the way that the universe works. The universe, it prepares you for the, for the next thing. And uh, you go through, whether it be you go through, you know, not drinking, whether it be you go through, um, you know, issues with various property projects or whatever it might be, you know, arguments with, with contractors you these things help you for the next the next installment so how do you get your head tell us how do you get your head around you know if you're going through a challenge or a struggle Mm. that the universe has brought this Mm. now Yeah, so so I don't. Firstly, I don't think that's not how I think. I don't think at the time. Oh, the ah, oh, great. Oh, here's another gift. Right. The <laughs> oh, terrific. Thank you. I've been looking for this. That's, that, that that that's BS, right? That's not how I think. So what what my why I think is I first think I need to solve this. So there's this thing that's happened, and I need to fix this thing. Now this thing may take a while to fix, and that's okay. But I've got to, I've got to get into solution mode. A lot of people get into problem mode, and that is, oh my gosh, there's this problem. And by definition, when you get into problem mode, you're looking backwards. I don't want to look backwards. I want to keep looking forwards. I spent the the, the first uh, you know forty uh, odd years of my life spending a lot of time looking backwards. I don't want to look backwards. I want to keep looking in a forwards direction. So I've got to solve it. Whatever that thing is, we've we've got to flick into into solution oriented mode. Then then from a looking backwards point of view, I say to people, there's three reasons that you should look back. The first is that you want to take the lesson. I make mistakes. I make daily mistakes on varying degrees. Take the lesson. That's the first reason. The second reason is you want to look back and remember some happy times. There's enormous happy times in my life, and I love to look back and and sit with those and and really sit with them. Not just go, oh yeah, that was that wedding or that birthday. It's like really sit with it and you know, it's, it's almost like bathe yourself in that feeling. You know, the emotion that's around that. And the third thing that you want to look back for is to see how far you've come. You know, and I look back, you know, you, you've got me thinking about 2010. I haven't thought about 2010 for a long time. You know, and I'm thinking about 2010. And, and, and just during this conversation, I've had just little moments where it's like, wow, you know, I have come so far. And here's the thing. I have another saying, which is I haven't come this far to only come this far. You know, and so, yes, I've come an enormous way. And here we are in 2020. And, you know, my life is, you know, 180 degrees the opposite to what it was 10 years ago. But the best is ahead of me, Celeste. And that's the exciting piece about it. What do you think is ahead of you? What I think is ahead of me. So, again, if I go back to my mission of positively impacting people in business, I'm not impacting enough people. I'm not impacting enough small business owners. There's far too many issues with small business owners, i.e., Poor, starts with poor sales. Um, you know, what, what I find generally with small business owners is that they are, firstly, they go into business, some of them for the wrong reason. They're not clear on what they want. Or they might be a very good technician. So I might be a very good plumber. I might be a very good florist. I might be a very good accountant. But that's very different to running a plumbing business or an accountancy firm or you know, a floristry business. So there's that. Uh, piece there because there's not success then that leads to other mental health issues uh, it leads to depression in a lot of in some cases sadly it leads to to suicide Um, I look back at my father my father transitioned from a paid job to small business and at at the time it was really tough for us because um, you know we didn't see him a lot for, for a period of time 
and and I saw the, the the grind and the battle that he went through, and I never thought that 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 was as deep in me as it is, but it is deep in me. And so I have this, and look, my father's, he's fine because he was able to retire at 56. So it worked out pretty well for him in the end, but there was a period of time when, you know, he was burning the candle at both ends and, uh, and was really grumpy to be around. And, and that was difficult for, for us. Um, so small business, it's not easy, but it doesn't need to be as difficult as a lot of people make it. And, and how can I help people have far greater success in small business? And I have two key philosophies. Uh, so one is that sales cures all. And if you can get more sales in the front door, then it's going to take care of, of, of things out the, you know, back in your business, whether it be dealing with creditors, paying your staff, etc. But the other is that in order to build a better business, you need to build a better you. It's not about the sales. Like sales is, is one element but you've got to build a better you. And it goes back to my, my life coaching desire, even though I, I mask it underneath mm. business coach, but I want to help people build a better them, build a better you. And, and where's parts of them that need to be better? Like how come they're not better now? Like in your experience with working with small business owners? Well, they've got the wrong mindset. Yeah, what is their, what, what's the mindset that they well, it's, have? Well it's, well, it's a closed mindset. It's a fixed mindset. It's a, take, for example, 2020. You know, we're going through what is arguably one of the most challenging uh, periods that, that, that our generation is going through. We haven't experienced, you know, wars like this. Yeah, there's been some wars, there's, but, you mm-hmm. know, we haven't experienced it personally. This is arguably the toughest thing we're going through. And I'm seeing plenty of people's character really be tested and you know some of the characters that i'm seeing it's not pretty and there's fears and there's anxiety and there's negativity and there's the skies caving in and all these types of things and i take a 180 degree view in the opposite direction that is that wherever there is a negative there is a positive wherever so for example the biggest excuse that i get from my clients for not doing something and not just from clients but people i speak to is i don't have time well, I would argue that if you're going through COVID right now, then you've got a lot of time. And so that's no longer an excuse. But what I find fascinating, Celeste, is then there'll be, yeah, I've got time, but there'll be another excuse. There'll be another mm. excuse. And so it's about getting people to get into a growth mindset. And a growth mindset is there are opportunities everywhere. Every single day in the midst of the COVID crisis, there are opportunities. What are the opportunities? Well, I just mentioned one, time. What's another opportunity? We are now able to connect. We're discovering this thing called Zoom. I've been using Zoom for years, but now all of a sudden we're discovering Zoom. We're discovering, we're actually becoming more connected even though we're less connected. So we're less connected physically because we, we, you know, we, we can't go certain places and we're, we're, we've got to socially distance. But I would argue that we're more connected. My family, we've done a number of Zoom calls as a family. We've never done Zoom calls as a family. All of us have sat around and just caught up over Zoom. Mm. so there's so many positive things that have come but here's the other thing people who are so used to going through the habitual nature of hopping on public transport going into an office uh, uh you know being in the city uh, coming home on public transport kissing the kids good night uh, getting a meal and going up and starting again because they're being forced out of their office they're at home they're discovering maybe exercise they're discovering uh, walking the dog, they're discovering spending time with the kids at the park, they're discovering flexibility. What a great word, discovery. Yes. Yeah. 
That's really good. Yeah. And so there's all these positives that are coming yeah. out of it. Because here's the thing, and I touched on it before. Did you yeah. always have the, like, um, that positive mindset, no. growth mindset? No. No, not, not at all. No. And, and so this is one of my own journey of self-discovery, is realising that I have a choice. I can choose to be negative and pessimistic. That's a choice. Mm. But I now choose not to. See, as humans, we have a negative bias. That's the reality, right? All of us, it's, 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 it's in us. It's how, we're, it's how we're wired. We have a negative bias. <laughs> and and so, so it's about how we then shift ourselves to having the positive side of things. And when you do it long enough, it becomes habitual and you do it automatically. You do it on, on, uh, uh, on autopilot. It becomes part of your subconscious. And so for me, over many, many, many years, I have shifted my whole way of thinking. I was incredibly negative, incredibly, um, you know, blame people. I never used to accept responsibility. Never. It was never my fault. It was my yeah. parents' fault. It was my parents' fault. It was my wife's fault. It was my kids' fault. If I had known you, it would have been your fault. It would have been. Right, thanks. Yeah, yeah but, but that's, that's who I was. Yeah. I actually believe that um, when you take responsibility for everything in your life, that's when your life changes. Yeah. Like, which is so hard. Like everything. <laughs> it's yeah. actually really challenging. Yeah, well, but, but here's here's the thing, right? Here's where I where I think that that statement, and I'm not having to go at you, I'm just saying generally no, that's statement okay. gets a little bit um, uh, misinterpreted. Yeah. So let's take COVID-19, for example. We can't take responsibility for COVID-19. Right? So COVID-19 happened. It happened beyond our shores. It came into our country. We can't take responsibility for that. But what we can take responsibility for is what we do now that it's here. Does that make sense? So there's a distinction. Yeah, difference. so your reaction. Yeah, yeah. so, so, so what, how I frame it up is response hyphen able. So it's a play on responsibility. So response, so R-E-S-P-O-N-S-E hyphen A-B-L-E, response able. You are able to respond in whatever way you choose. How do you choose to respond? That's the ultimate thing there. So it's, to me, it's, it's, it's not, yes, I, I get the whole 100% responsibility, but accept 100% responsibility for what you do, for what you say, for mm. how you think, for how Your you thoughts. act. Yeah. That, that, that's a bit there. You know, you spoke about um, the retreat that you went to and yes. you were, you know, writing down all your thoughts. Mm. And then um, in another discussion, you spoke about your heart. Mm. When do you kind of, when you've got conflict between your heart and your thinking, mm. what do you do then? Well, your heart, your heart wins. Your heart knows. Your heart, your heart knows. Tap, tap, tap into your heart. Because, because we have all sorts of weird thoughts come up. We have weird dreams and all sorts of weird thoughts. And the problem is that people have, silly thoughts and that that's enough to sit them back down and stop them from moving forward. Mm. So if you constantly listen to those negative thoughts, because remember again, your mind has a negative bias. So your mind is, is far more comfortable Celeste. If you are sitting watching Netflix, your mind is, it, it is having a party. If you're sitting down in a safe space, watching Netflix because the mind has one role and that's survival. It's to keep us safe. And so any time that there is danger around us, then your mind is heightened that it wants to protect you. But where this has gone skew if through evolution is that danger used to be, you know, I'm going to get eaten. 
but I'm not going to get eaten today. Or maybe, you know, maybe there are moments when there is genuine danger. So, for example, if you were being confronted by a wild dog or with a, swimming with a shark or whatever, then, yes, that's, that's genuine danger, right? If there's a, uh, a, a madman with a gun, that's danger. If there's a car hurtling towards you, that's danger. But where it's gone skew if is that there's danger and there's irrational fear. And irrational fear is public speaking. Irrational fear is making that sales call. Irrational fear is asking that boy or girl out. They're irrational fears. You're not in danger. You're not in danger of public speaking. You're not in danger if you make a sales call. But we conjure up these stories and this meaning that associates with that. And now the mind thinks we're in danger. It's like, oh my gosh, don't possibly stand on stage because you're in danger. You're not in danger. Right, but we've got this story around us, and there's a variety of stories that we may, we may tell ourselves, and, th- and that's why we choose not to do it. So hence the mind says, I want you to sit, I want you to wrap yourself in cotton wool, I want you to turn on Netflix, and I just want you to, to chill and relax. And your mind is happy when it does that. So how do we tap into our heart more? Or listen I, to our heart? Yep, yep. So so I ask two questions daily of myself and I ask these of my coaching clients as well and so people can ask them um, wherever you are you don't need a coach to them the first one is every day you reflect on what went well what are the things that truly went well today and I always ask that deliberately because if I said if, if someone says if I ask someone how are you going I will get an enormous tale of woe I'll get this missed opportunity that fell over that's wrong so-and-so sick what 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 right but whereas when i say <laughs> what's going well huh and they've got to sit and they've got to stop and they've got to think about because it's not natural so i ask myself this question every day what went well today what were the good things about today the other thing that i ask myself is what can i do different not what went wrong not where did i fail all this stuff because it's all gone what could I do different? So tomorrow morning, when my feet hit the floor and I bound out of bed, what can I do different? Maybe I could make that sales call a bit quicker. Maybe I could make another sales call. Maybe I could speak to that person who I've been delaying speaking to. Maybe I could do that task that I've been avoiding. And see, fear shows up in procrastination. There is a fear. You may not consciously think there's a fear, but there's a fear. And it comes out of your subconscious and it bubbles to the surface in avoidance. And so it's all around what can I do differently tomorrow? And maybe it's around how I deal with humans. Maybe you might say to yourself, I'm going to accept responsibility. I'm not going to, I'm not going to blame people. I'm not going to judge someone. I'm going to uh, have acceptance. I'm going to show love and not fear. These are all things that you have a choice to do. So when you ask those questions daily over a period of time, you start to really tap into who you are. Mm-hmm. You're good at what you're not good at. I've got one last question. I have heaps of other questions as well, but um, you answered most of them. So we're you're really good to interview, Tony. Oh, thanks, Elaine. Thank you. Um, I've really enjoyed this, by the way. Yeah. Like I knew well, but not this, you know, it's just another level of um, mm. connection, I would say. Mm. Um, now, I don't think I've asked someone this question, but I love it. Not, not on a podcast. I asked my dad once and he kind of rolled my eyes and then thought about it for a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, if you came into this life to learn something, mm. what do you think it is that you're here to learn? 
Well, firstly, it's a great question. What, what I'm here to learn is how, is how I can better serve people around me. That's, that's, that's the, the gift that I had. As I said earlier, I don't have the gift of renovating, doing things with my hands. I'm hopeless. And I don't want to be good at it. Like, I'm sure I could learn it, but it's has zero interest to me. My gift is to help people move forward. And I want to learn how I can do that better, do that to more people and, and help people and, and leave this world uh, a far better place than I found it and, and, and have, the, have that eulogy that even though I, I couldn't give it to you word by word, but, but have people go, you know, thank you. And ultimately, that, that, that's it. I mean, look, I'm, I'm fortunate I get to, to do what I do and I get paid for what I do. But, you know, just to see people shift, shift their lives, is, it's, it's so powerful and it's so light. So that's, that's one of the things for me. And, and I've learnt so much and I continue to learn. And I've shared, you know, the last 10 years and the ebbs and flows of just the last 10 years. We didn't even go before that, right? And so I've learnt so much in, you know, my 47 years of, of being here on this place and, you know, there's so much more that I, that I can learn, but ultimately it's, it's how I can learn to be a better, uh, better provider to, to other people to help them um, achieve whatever it is that they want, because we all have the ability, you know, we all have enormous potential, but the majority of us just don't tap into that. And, um, and it's incredibly sad and, and there'll be no, uh, there'll be no greater pain than the regret of someone lying on their deathbed and going, if only I had a, if only I could have, and at that stage, it's too late. That's great. It's really nice, Tony, to serve others. Mm. Thank you. <laughs>